Welcome to the Six Figure Practice Podcast. I'm Sasha Raskin, and I'm the founder of the Six Figure Practice, which is a private practice accelerator program, a business school for helpers just like you, and a community for helpers such as counselors and coaches who are building their private practice. I'm a counselor and a coach, and my mission is to help helpers thrive while changing their clients' lives for the better. If you're looking for inspiring stories of helpers who build a successful private practice already, if you'd like to discover how to create your own perfect clients, if you're wondering what are the marketing strategies you need to be using, and most importantly, how to combine helping others and thriving yourself, you will find all of this and more in this podcast together with many free resources on our website at thesixfigurepractice.com T-H-E, the number six, figurepractice.com And if you'd like to brainstorm together how to grow your private practice on your own or by joining our accelerator program, simply sign up for a free consultation call on our website. Hi, Vani. Hi, Sasha. Hi, so I'm excited about today's conversation. Uh, we'll be talking about your journey as a therapist in private practice. And with all the experience that you have, I think it would be very valuable for people that are thinking about starting their private practice and also that already grew their private practice and thinking, well, maybe there are other projects that I can uh explore so maybe a good way to start would be if you could share um what do you do who do you help and how do you help in your private practice so i came 23 years ago from germany to study with the pioneers in somatic psychology and uh, that brought me all the way to boulder colorado and, uh, you know, I was very dedicated to working in the field of addiction and substance abuse. And, um, and so that was really my focus. And I started out working in agencies. So I worked here in the Boulder County Jail. I worked for Boulder County. So really being in agencies that serve people from underprivileged backgrounds. And I did that for several years. Um, and I think it gave me really the best exposure to what's happening in the field and also to understand issues around social justice and access. And, um, you know, it was amazing to after graduating from Naropa University to work in teams with people, interdisciplinary teams, uh, with people who had a ton of experience. So that was really, really helpful to me. And I would say that the biggest training I really got from the people I worked with, uh, from the people in very extreme places, struggling with substance use issues, addiction, incarceration, being involved in the justice system, um, you know, and there were many times we, I was desperate in terms of, you know, we are not helping in these systems, like what could we do different? And from that place of, of kind of being humbled, uh, I started asking questions. And I think those were the questions that taught me the most. 
really asking people in the really dark places, like what is actually helping and what is actually empowering. And um, really, I learned so much in these really difficult, challenging uh, places from people who have been in those dark places for a long time. And so I would say that really uh, gave me a very profound understanding and then helped me, you know, seek out the training, even after graduating, uh, what I needed uh, to do what I do now. So, uh, you know, learning, for example, that what is underneath really severe substance abuse issues is actually trauma. And so now I work as a brain spotting therapist uh, in private practice with people on the most extreme end of the spectrum, substance abuse, addiction, mental health issues. And I uh, really like working with people who have been in lots of different treatment settings, but have not gotten help around their symptoms. So I really like help, helping people who didn't get help before, uh, who feel like, you know, the traditional approaches have not worked for them, who are kind of burned out, sometimes hopeless that uh, therapy would actually help them. And so those are the people I really like working with because I want to show people that they're not broken. Oftentimes they don't have a mental health or substance abuse disorder, right? Oftentimes they have just lots of natural reactions that we ha we know happen after trauma. And so that's at this point what I specialize in. So people who deal with very severe symptoms because of trauma, and then I can see that, you know, brain spotting is a really, really good treatment for them. Mm. So it sounds like straight out of school, you found yourself in a good environment to learn and to create change. And you were busy with asking questions, not just the mental health practitioners, but also the clients themselves, right? What do they need? From this environment, that sounds like would be a great place for a therapist. What pushed you towards uh, starting your own private practice? Why, why would you need a private practice if you have uh, such a good network to work in? So, I just saw, you know, and this, these were different times, right? This is 20 years ago, but it was very difficult at times within the system to use cutting edge approaches. And so I think as therapists, we really should see ourselves as social change agents and we should work on all levels, right? I think I feel inspired to work for social change on every level. Mm -hmm. And so it was good for me to work within agencies and within the system, but then I could also see the limitations, right? And so that is what really inspired me to start working in private practice where I felt like I can get this work to people who cannot get it within the system. But at the same time, not giving up on the system. So I still mm. work within the systems. So, for example, we're doing work right now with the probation department. So with women who are in the within the criminal justice system, uh, because I think, you know, I'm not OK just working with people who can afford therapy. I also want to provide uh, this cutting edge work for people who cannot afford it, right? So for example, I go into a high school now here in Boulder and do brain spotting 
uh, sessions with students who have been identified as having oh, severe trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's it's hard, right? But I think that is what is important, that we don't give up on mm -hmm. these systems, that we work on the inside for change as well. Nice. So you're saying uh, that private practice allowed you the freedom clinically to do what you think works best, right? That maybe uh, were a bit restricted uh, within the system. And I know that many times uh, counselors, when they think about going into private practice, there, there is like some guilt in terms of, ah, what about underserved populations? And, uh, and you're saying it doesn't need to be either or. You can work in the system and you cre can create your own environment for uh, change and do the things you want to do your way. Yeah, I recommend that every therapist works on uh, on all fronts, right? So, mm -hmm. because of course, a lot of the work, you know, I I think every therapist should start a nonprofit or get involved in nonprofit work, uh, because there's so much work to be done on so many levels. And then sometimes, you know, like I do a lot of work still to this day in the community, completely volunteer. Uh, because I think that is, you know, that's what I feel inspired to do. And of, of course, at some point you have to make a living, right? So mm -hmm. for me, in my journey, that has been the ideal combination to work in private practice and uh, to be able to make a living, to also do professional trainings uh, where I also get paid for my work. And then that allows me to do nonprofit work and do a lot of volunteer work mm. where I feel I can provide, uh, you know, cutting edge uh, therapy mm. to people who could otherwise never afford it. You know, yeah. so I, to me personally, that combination uh, really feels powerful and satisfying and where I feel like I'm living my purpose. Yeah, I love that. So you're saying, yeah, I need to, uh, it's important for me to create social change and help others. And at the same time, I need to take care of myself as well, right? And the combination of private practice with agency work allows me to do that. Absolutely, right? And I think, I mean, this is why I love our profession so mm -hmm. much, because it allows us to work in so many different ways, you know. Uh, so I was very lucky, I became a motivational interviewing trainer. And that allows me to work with change, not just with individuals on a client level, but I get to train professionals, you know, so I get to change the system, not just on the, not, indiv mm -hmm. not just on with individual clients, but also helping professionals understand their work and improve their skill level. Uh, so to me, that is, you know, the, the, the potential that we have mm -hmm. as therapists, uh, that we can also work as trainers. Yeah. And I, I assume it wasn't just luck. I, I think it was premeditated intention to like, what do you want your career to look like? Not really. So Not really? I have to say, I have no, I have to say, um, you know, what I now in hindsight, right, what what really helped was that I, without any compromise, followed my passion. Mm. And I really pursued the things that felt really meaningful to me without ever looking at financial 
you know, ever, ever making choices around finances. Mm -hmm. I pursued my passion, but I have to say now looking back, that opened doors for me that I really couldn't even imagine. Uh, So a lot of the opportunities that came my way were kind of, you know, these synchronistic Mm -hmm. uh, meetings of people um, where I couldn't have known that they would open these doors for me, where I would say now looking back, it was just offering my, my passion never saying no, you know, always offering to help, even if there was, if it was totally unpaid, Mm. Uh, that in my, in my journey has opened a lot of doors where then, you know, there were also opportunities created by that. So to summarize the path is uh, go towards what excites you and you're passionate about, say yes to things and seek them out. And also, well, financial reward will follow, right? N- not to be, not it to be flipped, right? I'm looking for wherever the financial reward is, and then I might not enjoy it, or it might not happen. I mean, that you know, it might be different paths for different people, but in mm-hmm. my experience, so for I give you an example. Yes. The first job that I took uh, after graduating with my second master's degree was a case manager position where it was a, I think the requirement was a high school diploma and uh-huh. it was 12 it was 12 bucks an hour but mm-hmm. it was in a cutting edge jail diversion program that was just so visionary uh, so amazing where i was like you know i do want to serve the people with the most severe mental health issues that got stuck in jail and we now have an opportunity to take them out of jail with the permission of the courts and offer them treatment i mean that vision right and to be involved in that pilot project mm. more important to me than you know uh, making money. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad to this day, because I feel like that, you know, that door opened opportunities for me, where I now still work in the system, with people in the criminal justice system, that is so close to my heart. And so I would recommend that to anybody, like follow what excites you the most where you feel like these are the people mm-hmm. I want to work with, you know, yeah, I don't remember. I, I, it's from a book I read recently, and it's just one sentence. And like the career advice uh, the author gives is: uh, find what makes you feel alive, and then find a way to make a living out of it. Oh, I think it's Stephen Chandler in uh, Wealth Warrior. Totally, you know. And I say, I mean, I was always very responsible, right? Like, so I didn't just launch into private practice. Mm. I looked for work within an agency. And then, you know, I reduced that to part time. And Mm. I was always incredibly careful. You know, I rented an office hourly, like I did not, um, you know, just um, in this kind of naive way, follow my heart. Like I was very- Follow your passion, quit your job and move (laughs) to the other (laughs) side of the world to wash dolphins that's your calling yeah no i i'm all for being mature and responsible right and to do a step at a time but now in looking back i would have to say that where i followed my passion 
that is what created these synchronistic, amazing meetings with people mm. that then, you know, opened a lot of doors for me. Yeah. I, so like, I, con- I give you another, I give you yeah. another. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, people ask me a lot to present in conferences or to present in communities. And to this day, I always say yes. And, mm. you know, most of the time there's no payment, right? You do this on your own time. And I presented at a conference once where they told me, they said, you know, sorry, we don't, we cannot pay you, but we give you a hotel room. And I said, yes. And then a person from a very, very large government agency saw Mm -hmm. me present and then uh, advocated for me to get a five-year contract with a really large government organization Mm. to train over a thousand staff, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I would have said no to this volunteer opportunity, you know, that door would have never opened. So Mm -hmm. that is my experience consistently that, you know, if you feel like there's something in your heart where you want to serve and uh, somebody asks you for help and you say yes, that in, in, in the long run, that has always been really, really important and powerful. Yeah. So throughout all those experiences, you are getting exposure. Well, people are getting exposure to your expertise and your ideas and your unique way of uh, creating change in the world and your network grows. And uh, I think one of the scary things in uh, building private practice for therapists is this idea that they hear about that you're all alone and you're isolated and you're saying, no, you don't have to be. No, I mean, that's why I recommend, right? Uh, create a nonprofit or get involved with an agency, offer your support, um, totally connect with the people where you feel like they're doing important work in this community. Uh, You know, if you don't want to start your own nonprofit, find the places. Like if you feel like I want to support women who come out of domestic violence, like connect with the people in the, in your community Mm. who do that uh, because you want to be known as an advocate, as somebody who's, you know, who's fully passionate for this cause and will do anything to support it. So I would highly recommend, you know, we at this point in the world, we cannot create change by ourselves. Like mm. we need to connect and we need to support each other. Yeah, wonderful. So if you think about them, uh, for how long have you been in private practice in general? And if you think about the main milestones in the way it was uh, growing, what were those? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think I started probably around 2004. So that's what, about 16 years ago. Um, I did it part-time right next to my agency work. And then I got involved at Naropa University teaching. Um, And so next to that, so I really grew my private practice based on need. Mm. Um, I didn't advertise much at all. It was really word of mouth, and that is to this day. I don't Mm. advertise at all. Um, It's all word of mouth, and I could do that because of my teaching work at Naropa University and because of my agency work. I could do this on the side, really growing it organically 
uh, based on need. I always kept my costs like super low, literally just getting an office by the hour. So I never had a lot of overhead costs. Mm. Um, and so I could go with that momentum. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying everybody needs to do it like that, but that's what mm -hmm. worked for me. And um, my experience is that really, especially in a community where there is a lot of therapists, that word of mouth is a really powerful way of, you know, the right clients coming to you. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, I just started working with a young man this Friday who had exactly the profile, like my favorite situation to work with, right? Mm. Debilitating substance abuse issues, debilitating mental health issues, failed treatment uh, attempts, you know, and, and this young man started talking about what he's dealing with. And I was like, how did this happen? Like, how did you find me? And mm. we couldn't really track it, but it was just a miracle, right? Mm -hmm. A miracle where I felt like this is the exactly the person I can help, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, I don't think it's just about income, but it's also, mm -hmm. you want to be connected to the people you can really help. Yeah. And so that's why I think this word of mouth mm -hmm. uh, situation is really important. And also being very clear, like what is your specialty, right? Mm -hmm. What do you want to, who, who do you want to serve and what training do you have mm. so that it's exactly the right people who come to you that you can really help. It reminds you of what we talked about before we started the call, uh, that your advice to me when I was starting my private practice was uh, uh, there are so many people, uh, therapists in this town that you have to be, that it's so hard for people to find a therapist, right? The paradox of choice, the more choice you have, the more difficult it is to make one. So you need to become the person to go to with a specific challenge. And I think therapists get stuck for years sometimes on choosing a niche, right? They hear about you need to choose a niche. Uh, and then it's the paradox of, well, what if I just focus on one population that I'm not going to have enough clients? Or what if uh, I can help all those other people too, right? How can I even... Um, what would be your advice on uh, space? I'm totally gonna mispronounce it specialization, uh, and how to choose the people you want to work with. So, that like pretty magical stories, like what you just shared, would start happening. I mean, I, in my experience, again, right, different people might have different paths into that. But in my experience, it was just following my passion. You know, I was always totally clear that I wanted to work with addiction and that I wanted to support people with that. And then radically following what feels like where I feel most drawn to. Also in terms of trainings, right? Also mm -hmm. in terms of really getting very specialized training on what you feel most drawn mm. to and where you want to be of service. So my sense is, and I know that lots of people talk about this, you know, how you uh, do your soul purpose and your, your manifesting things and all of that. I don't know about any of this, but what I would say looking back is the fact that, you know, I dedicated myself to being mm -hmm. of service and to helping 
very, very specific people who are really in the shadows in this mm-hmm. culture right now. And I feel like the more I am really trusting that, mm-hmm. the more people find me who need exactly that particular help. Um, so I would encourage everybody, just check what who are you feeling passionate mm-hmm. in being of service to and then follow that passion, mm-hmm. you know, and get the word out, connect with agencies and people who do this work, um, create social change on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you uh, completely followed this advice on your website. I just opened it up to look at like what, what's the first thing that uh, I see as a visitor. And it was just a, like loud and proud deep recovery from addiction, trauma, depression, anxiety, and grief, right? You state very, very specifically and like in big letters, what is exactly what you do, right? Which kind of probably eliminates the clients who you wouldn't be enjoying as much working with. Yeah, I can tell you, you know, like people in Boulder, Colorado, who look for personal growth, I immediately refer them out. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Uh And this is not what I enjoy. I cannot, I do not tolerate Mm. sitting with people who just, you know, don't really have a a suffering or a, a, a struggle going on. There's plenty of other people who mm-hmm. enjoy that kind of work. You know, I enjoy working with people who are in the darkest dark, who are really struggling mm-hmm. and really suffering uh, from trauma. You know, so I just know that about myself. And so I do not keep my uh, private practice broad, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because I know it's torture for me to sit yeah. with people where I feel like, you know, they're just doing this for, you know, person. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just not me, you know? So, so not being afraid to say no. Well, you're saying yes and, right? It's not no. There is a better therapist for you. He, he, here's the name and the phone number. Yeah. Or, you know, I say to people who come to me and say, you know, I'd like to work with addiction, but I want to keep using marijuana. Is this okay with you? I'm like, no, I'm sorry. You, It's mm. fine. I have no judgment, but I'm not the right person for you because I don't believe that marijuana is helpful. Mm. And so if you want to work with this situation, you cannot work with me, right? So mm. in my experience, the more clear I am where I can be of service mm-hmm. and where I feel passionate about helping people, the more clearly mm-hmm. these are the people that find the connection, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I would highly recommend that to not compromise, you know? Yeah. yeah. So the process would be for someone, someone who's trying to figure it out is what am I really passionate about? Uh, choosing the population that I can really help get more education and more specific training about that. So I become the professional who can really help with that and then translate it into the message on my website, into the message, even in my phone calls with potential clients, right? And then word of mouth starts to build as well, because this is the specific thing you would be recommended for. Yeah. And, you know, the question uh, where people say, what is the kind of work that you would like to do, even if you would not get paid for that? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what is the work that brings you alive and that puts you on fire? 
that is, I think, what needs to happen, mm. right? Where, where you're not compromising because what you think creates an income. Mm. You go with what you feel most passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Because the danger is uh, otherwise, be careful for what you wish for, because if you work a lot for it, it might come true, right? What if you build a private practice with clients who you don't feel you are the best fit for, and they're not the best fit for you? Total burnout program, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, people ask me sometimes, like, how can you do so much? Because I run a nonprofit. I that do was my next trainings. question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you work in in a way that gives you energy, mm -hmm. right? You don't take on, you don't do work that drains you, yeah. or you don't do work where you feel like you're compromising. Mm -hmm. You really find the work that puts you on fire, where you feel like this gives me so much joy, so much energy. It, it feeds my soul, you know, and then you can do a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. What would be your advice for some for a therapist who's just starting out, fresh out of school, uh, and they want to go into private practice, and they don't know where do I start? Yeah, I would say don't start like that. I would say mm. find contexts where you can work and learn. Mm -hmm. Right. I think, you know, this is something that somebody unfortunately just told me in the third year of my graduate program. Somebody said, you are not going to be a therapist in three years. I was like, could you have not told me that before? So I now supervise practicum students and I say that from the get go. You will not be a finished therapist after three years of school. Mm. It is just to get you started. Um, you can relax. You're not going to be finished. Like this is your beginning to mm. work in this field and to learn. And so I would say find contexts where mm. you can learn, where you can make a living within your passion and where you have community right? Where you, you don't feel you're by yourself. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to create a private practice element, that's fine. But then find part-time work where you feel like you are part of a team mm. and you can still learn, get lots of supervision, uh, learn from colleagues, learn from elders in the field so that you don't have this feeling of like, you know, being on shaky ground by yourself. Yeah. And that takes the pressure off. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. also smart. It's financially smart, right? Because mm -hmm. then you get a lot of the hours, a lot of the supervision mm -hmm. as part of your work that you're going to need for licensure and you don't have to pay it out of pocket. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's also, I think it's financially smart. Yeah. Uh, Rich Litvin, one of my coaches, he says, uh, needy is creepy. So not having this part-time job, like potential clients can feel it, right? It's like, yeah, that is so important, right? Like if your clients, if and, and, and you, I don't think you can fake that, right? Like uh -huh. if your clients feel that you are not coming from a place of abundance, right? They're, they're not having to fill kind of a deficit. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the only way it works, right? Like that's why I think 
starting a private practice like on the side, right? Where it's not even any financial need mm -hmm. uh, creates an energy where people actually feel comfortable working with you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Avani, what would be your advice for people who already grew their private practice to some extent? And maybe they're feeling, okay, I have some clients now, maybe 10, 15, and I feel I'm kind of plateauing. I need my next uh, growth or uh, create uh, something additional. What, what, what would be your advice then? I mean, you know, I see our work uh, as a social justice profession. Uh, I learned a tremendous amount from the people who started the public achievement model, which is a model around the world that really supports people all ages to become change agents. Mm. And uh, Harry Boyd and Der Dennis Donovan, who started this model, uh, created a really important worldwide movement and I was mentored by them uh, and there is a therapist named William Doherty who started applying public achievement for psychotherapists and I highly recommend everybody who works as a therapist and as a counselor or coach to look into that right so mm -hmm. William Doherty he coined the term citizen therapist so that we understand as therapists that we have a lot of skills that could benefit uh, people in a community. And so to get very creative and to think outside of the box how we can support social change in our communities. And I recommend that to anybody who feels like they're plateauing or they just want to do more or want to have a bigger reach to look into that, like how, what does that mean to be a citizen therapist and how mm. to get involved? And uh, William Doherty published really interesting articles with pilot uh, projects of how that could look like, right? How a therapist can be creating change and work for change in their community. So I highly recommend that because again, if you wanna get the word out that people know about you, I think that is a much better approach than like formal marketing, uh, mm. where people actually know that you are a community leader with this particular issue, mm. and then they will develop trust in you and will send people your way, you know, because it's all about working for change in our mm. community. So that, that will be my recommendation. Yeah. So show, not tell. And also just, you know, again, be of service in your community mm -hmm. so people know that you are in this fight and that you are a person that people can rely on and trust, mm -hmm. uh, that you're not doing this work for money, but mm -hmm. that you're doing this work because of passion and because you want to be of service. Yeah. Avani, what would you say about uh, further education after master's program? I see two paths, um, kind of two, maybe two extremes, and I'm I'm curious what's what's a good sweet spot for you. One extreme would be uh, that you mentioned. Okay, I have my three years of grad program. I'm good. I'm gonna be a great therapist now. Uh, I'm ready to change the world. The other extreme would be uh, just signing up 
for one certification under another, training, 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 but not actually applying it, right? Constantly staying in this student mode as maybe a, a way to bypass doing the actual work today, right? And I think you're a good person to ask that because you probably have the mo most uh, letters after your name <laughs> that I know of. I think it's uh, MEDMA, LPC, CAC3, BC, and DMT, Mint, and probably you're working on some others. Uh, so what would you say is a good balance? So I would say talk to people in the field, right? Because at this Connect. point- with college. definitely because at this point you know it's like uh it's like it's like endless right the amount of uh, certifications trainings credentials mm -hmm. you could get uh, i would say talk with the people who do who work in the field and serve the populations that you feel passionate about and talk to them what they see that is important in terms of training or credential or certification mm -hmm. yeah you know, I always, because I worked, I have worked with students, uh, graduate students now for a long time mm -hmm. uh, in different, you know, at Naropa, but also now as a community supervisor in a placement, uh, practicum placement. I always recommend that people do pursue credentials. So mm -hmm. if you want to work with underserved populations, uh, if you work with a need to work or want to work within systems, you're going to need credibility, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that is so important. Um, that's the reason I pursued some of the uh, credentials uh, to just be available to work in a school be mm -hmm. able to work for a probation department, right? So I would highly recommend that you talk with people what credentials are necessary to mm. do this kind of work for underprivileged people. Uh, so that's important. The second is um, you follow your passion, right? You follow like what is the work exactly that I want to be doing and mm. what is the best training for this work like just to give you an example yeah when people ask me okay so i want to work in addiction and substance abuse um and i want to serve you know people who are in the criminal justice system um well then you need to pursue the credential in your state to be able to work as a mm. substance abuse counselor and then i would recommend training in brain spotting because mm -hmm. i think that is the most cutting edge trauma training that you can get right now so but this is like you need to talk with people in your field right like mm. what are uh, the cutting edge things right now that that are respected that people have uh, you know really ha have a lot of trust in uh, so that's what i would recommend yeah. So you're saying figure out the outcome, right? What would you like to be doing mostly? And then do two things, uh, education for the sake of being more efficient. Uh, and second one is what are the credentials that are needed if you want to work in the system for that specific uh, place? What, what would you... Uh, what would you say, uh, just looking back at building your private practice experience and being a therapist for so long, what would you recommend not to do for therapists who either are starting private practice or farther along? I would say definitely don't isolate. 
you know, it's like mm-hmm. all about connections and it's all about uh, knowing people. And I know for some people who are introverted like me, that's very intimidating. So the way that worked for me is to just say yes to mm. any invitation, any opportunity to be of service. Yeah. Say yes. So that's, you know, because I'm very introverted. For me, mm-hmm. if anybody would have told me, you need to network, you need to reach mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. it would have terrified me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't do much of that t- typical networking and reaching out. What I did yeah. is I just offered myself being of service, right? Mm-hmm. So that for me now has created an incredible network mm-hmm. uh, where people know about me and know about what I do. And so I recommend that. So, um, and I recommend, you know, staying very humble. So not expecting that, oh, I can just create a private practice and people will come to me. Mm-hmm. I would say, stay humble, do your, you know, work within the community, uh, be realistic, um, say yes to opportunities, get involved, even if it means as a volunteer first. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are places I have volunteered for 12 years mm. for I got paid, right? Yeah. Just because I felt passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what, what worked for me. Yeah. Wonderful. And uh, for therapists who think about going beyond or going something passionate about uh, in areas where they can help, uh, I think your example, Natural Highs, your own nonprofit is a great example. Uh, Would you say more about that? And the journey of actually starting a nonprofit, I'm sure that people who listen to to it right now and hear your advice, just start a nonprofit, everyone should, that sounds, might sound a little intimidating. Could you say more about the steps and how it unfolded? Yeah. So again, right. And again, people might have different paths into that, but my path was just doing this kind of service-oriented work in the community. So wherever I was invited to go to present, uh, you know, I said yes. Every school that called me and said, could you come in and do a presentation on substance abuse for teens and parents? I said yes to. So the nonprofit uh, that I started, Natural Highs, actually began in this very organic way Mm. in terms of just, you know, being of service. Would you run an uh, after-school class for teens? Yes. So this is super important just to pause for a moment. You're saying I started with action, not with planning, right? I started doing, and then it just kind of grew organically versus, you know, drawing business plans or, uh, you know, uh, statements uh, and all of that. Yeah, I mean, really, and based on need, right? Like in our case, it was based on need, like a desperate need, help for parents, help for teens, and just coming in and addressing this need. And, you know, it was incredibly difficult uh, running programs for teens with substance abuse prevention intervention. You can imagine that's difficult. Yeah. And so just learning that over the years, and I think I did this work um not under a formal nonprofit for um about 16 years mm, before we wow. officially started uh-huh. natural highs as a nonprofit right so mm-hmm. first we ran it as programs and classes and then uh you know we ran uh, uh grants under fiscal agents so partnering agencies so 
again, right, just a step at a time, letting it mm. grow organically based on the community need. And then at some point, it was clear that it would serve us to create this nonprofit structure. Mm. And it's actually much simpler than people think, right? So that's, again, don't take it on by yourself. You want to partner Mm-hmm. With people already who have a nonprofit structure, maybe you can support them. Maybe you can offer them a piece from your specialty, like a weekly program or a one-time presentation. And so you get to know that um, kind of context. And then starting a nonprofit hasn't been that difficult, right? And then again, once you have a lot of connections around a particular issue, then it's also not that hard to create a board and all the pieces that you need for a nonprofit. And then also you already have a community of supporters mm. that then want to support your work, right? Or you have, you know, lots of uh, background experience and uh, success and uh, familiarity in the community that people would give you a grant, right? I mean, all of that takes you know, trust and experience and building that. So mm-hmm. that's that's how it worked for us. Yeah. Avani, thank you so much for all this great information and the motivation. Uh, if someone wants to find more about what you do um, and uh, the projects to be, they can be involved, uh, how can one do that? So people can find us, our nonprofit, Natural Highs, Healthy Alternatives to Drugs and Alcohol, with the website naturalhighs.org. So naturalhighs with an S.org. And uh, people can see what we offer. We now, with COVID, offer lots of resources for teens, for adults, for parents. Mm. And because a lot of it is online now, people can connect from us. We now have people connect uh with us from other countries, right? So mm. the best way to find out what we offer is to sign up for our Natural Highs emails. And then you are part of the community. You see all the different pieces we offer. There's a lot of them that are free of charge. So we now do a lot of online presentations for parents, for community members, mm. for kids, for adults. Uh, a lot of them are completely free still. And um some of them we need to now ask for donation because we lost our funding from the city. The youth funds uh, mm. were cut because of COVID, but you know we are fine. We keep going. So, but uh, just that's the way to get involved is really to go on our website naturalhighs.org, sign up for our emails, and then you get all the resources sent. And then you are welcome to pass them on in your community. Mm. Uh, you know, if you feel like my clients would benefit from that or my people I work with would benefit from that. Like we just heard from a, a therapist in St. Paul, Minnesota, mm. who has been using our email materials in her group that she's running nice. in a residential treatment center. And we mm-hmm. were like, what? We didn't mm. even know about it. So yeah, yeah anybody's beautiful. welcome. Mm. Mm. So any therapist that's uh, listening right now and they want to have uh, resources for uh, substance use or substance abuse prevention, they can get that from the website. Yeah, and lots of different things, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we do based what, because we run Natural Highs with Kids, so we really organize uh, programs based on need. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are also part of two documentaries, uh, one really big, famous documentary from Europe 
So because we are part of these two documentaries, one on alcohol, the other one on high THC marijuana risk uh, issues, uh, we hold regular showings of these documentaries online with community discussion afterwards. So that's another easy way for people to just get lots of resources. Yeah. And it's just another example of things that happen organically, right? Based on your uh, constant work in one specific area for years. Yeah. Then we had suddenly a film team contact us, right? To say, hey, we want to come see what you do. And we were like just falling out of the sky. Like, what? Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Right? So, yes, I would say if you pursue your passion and you dedicate yourself being of service, magical things will happen. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Avani. You're welcome. Thank you, Sasha.